0: It's recording now. (laughs) All right. Praise the Lord. I love the innocence, the wide-eyed innocence of children. Sometimes I wish we could go back to that time. I really do. Well, as I just told the kids, this is the season of Advent, and today is the Peace Sunday, and everything we're going to talk about today deals with this idea of peace. So if I were to ask you guys, what is peace? And I don't want you to raise your hand and answer, but I want you to think for yourself. If you had to answer to a child, telling them in some way simple, some way easy to explain, what would you say? How would you explain what is peace? Because you see, children think concretely. They don't think abstractly. They don't understand when you you say peace is like a... It's like a warm puppy in your lap and they're instantly thinking that you literally have a warm puppy in your lap and they don't get that you're trying to use a metaphor. So how would you explain what is peace to somebody who didn't have a concept of what peace was? Now, the word peace in the in the Hebrew, if you go through the Old Testament, wherever you see the word peace, that's the word shalom. In the New Testament, it was written in a different language. It was written in Greek. And so that word that's translated peace, you will find is the Greek word irene. Now, excuse me, the word peace, if you look it up in a accordance or a dictionary, it actually has six definitions. Now, they're all there on the screen for you. Number one, it's a state of national tranquility. In other words, no war. No crises, no fighting. Number two, peace is between individuals. Number three, security, safety, prosperity, felicity. Happiness is peace. Number four, the way that leads to peace, salvation. Number five, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And number six. The blessed state of devout and upright men after death. That last one, that goes to the, the idea of seeing rest in peace on somebody's gravestone. They are in a blessed state after death. They are resting in peace. And I don't remember the exact, the, the language, the the, 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 the the Latin, but those, that word rest in peace actually comes from a Latin blessing, if you will, that said over a grave at, a time, at the time of burial. Um, but there's these six different definitions that scholars have given to the word peace. None of them are easy. Even peace in between, peace between individuals, number two. What does that mean? Does that mean there's no fighting? Does that mean that uh, you agree um, 100% completely between each other? Does that mean that you both... I I don't know what it means. And the challenge comes... Let's go on to the next slide. The challenge comes that in the Bible... And you've had the the image in front of you, the little image that's in the bottom left of the screen. You've had that in front of you all morning long. And it is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born... And his name shall be called Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. These are the words of the prophet Isaiah. Now, if you look at the history of the Jewish people, this whole passage of scripture is talking about their anticipation of the coming Messiah, the anointed one. And their whole concept was that this idea of the increase of his government and of peace where there will be no end. They had this mindset that the Messiah was going to come and he's going to set up an earthly kingdom and it was going to be peace on earth and no more fighting. And then when Jesus came, they said, well, he's not doing what we expected him to do. Because they were operating from this mindset that peace, is a cessation of violence or war. So that's been the argument, pretty much, that you always hear, even to this day. Of oh, Well, Jesus couldn't be the Messiah because he came to the earth, but there hasn't been a cessation of wars. Where is the peace, we often hear these critics say. And the problem with demanding that all wars cease to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Prince of Peace, is that there are these six definitions to the word Peace. So isn't it possible that the peace that Jesus brings to the world would be in line with one of these other definitions? And you see, the most basic meaning of the word peace is, or the word shalom, I should say, is complete or whole. The word shalom can refer to A stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps, no missing bricks, no cracks. Shalom refers to something that is complex with lots of pieces that is in a state of completeness or wholeness. Shalom can refer to a person's well-being. The core idea is that life is complex. It's full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing or broken or damaged, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. And it needs to be restored. When when you use the word shalom as a verb, it literally means to make complete or to restore. If you look it up in the book of Proverbs, the word shalom is used to say to reconcile or heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. So the word shalom is not just cessation of war. It's actually much, 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 much more than that. It is this idea of, of perfection, completion, wholeness. And when using it as a verb, it means to bring about that. Now think about that in the idea of relationship. The prince of peace, the prince of shalom in relationship. This morning, we are going to examine Jesus, the Messiah, and how he brings shalom, restoring wholeness or bringing completeness to the people, to, to the world. Now, we're going to look at six separate passages of scripture. Um, Isaiah. Nine, Luke chapter 1, Romans chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 6, Romans chapter 9. Do not become overwhelmed by this. We're not going to read through every single verse. We're not going to examine every single nuance of all of these sections. We're actually going to pull out little passages of each section. But it's important that you have this in front of you so that you can take your picture with your phone. Hint, hint. And then go on this week and do this in your personal study. But these six passages of scripture are going to talk about peace. Hopefully, by the end of this morning's investigation on peace, we're going to have a better understanding of why we call Jesus the Prince of Peace. So that first one I want to look at is Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. Now, we read that this morning, actually. Elsie read that passage to us. It is the story of the birth of John the Baptist. It is the story of how Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was a priest serving in the temple. The angel Gabriel comes to him and tells him, God has seen that your wife is barren. He's heard your prayers. He's going to grant you a son and you're going to name this boy John. And he will be a herald to bring about The the readying of the people's hearts to receive the Messiah. And John, Zechariah said to the angel Gabriel, how in the world is that going to happen? I am an old man. My wife is all shriveled up and and just about dead. There's no way that that could possibly happen. And Gabriel said, because you didn't take me at my word, you're going to be mute until the time of the child's birth. So then he literally comes out of the temple mute. And that's why it says in this passage that Elsie read that they made signs to to Zechariah when they were trying to discern how. what do you want the boy's name to be? I never made sense to me. If you think about that, why, if he's mute but not dumb, do they have to make signs to him? I don't know. That's just what they wrote in the Bible. You'll have to ask the person who wrote it down. But my point is this. Zechariah couldn't speak until he wrote, his name will be John. And at that point, his voice is released. And the very first thing that he does Filled with the Holy Spirit, he becomes a, profet- a prof- he makes a prophetic utterance, and he speaks about his, the the child John. But we're looking at Jesus as the Prince of Peace. So, what does this passage have to do with this idea of Jesus being the Prince of Peace? If you skip all the way down, almost to the very last three verses of um, last four verses of this passage. Verses chapter uh, one versus uh, whatever I said, it was 67 through 79. Go up to 76 if you have it in front of you. It says, and you, child, talking about his son, John, will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, go before the Messiah to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Stop. What sunrise? What is he talking about there? Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus brings light to the people who are living in darkness. The Messiah is the light of the world. The Messiah brings light to those who are seated in darkness. So Zechariah in his prophecy is speaking to his son. But then he says, God, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise, the Messiah shall visit us from on high. And this Messiah will give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And this Messiah, this this." Jesus, which he isn't named here, will guide our feet into the way of peace. So what I want you to take from this passage is that last statement. The Messiah. One of the purposes or roles of the Messiah is to guide our feet. On the pathway of peace. Now, if you go to Romans chapter five, verse one. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now go back to what the definition of peace is. Remember, the definition of peace is completion or wholeness. <clears throat> and if you use it as a verb, it means to make complete or to make whole. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How? Because shalom has been Put into effect by Jesus's actions, his death on the cross, his resurrection. And because of our faith in all of that, we have been made right with God. We have been justified. Therefore, we have peace with God as a result of Jesus and his death on the cross. So the Messiah guides our path, guides our feet on the path of peace. But he is also restored peace he has restored relationship between us and God the father now if you move to ephesians chapter 2 there is this really cool statement in verse 14 now, 11 through 22 is the whole passage but verse 14 says for he jesus himself is our peace he is our peace why Because he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What in the world is he talking about? And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you, those of you who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And it goes on and on and on. But it says, verses 14 through 17. Jesus himself is our peace. He preached peace. He brought peace. And what he did was he broke down all of the barriers, no longer Greek-Greek Gentile, no longer male-female, no longer, um, <clears throat> well, e- even within the Jewish community, broke down all of the barriers. Because the bottom line is, is relationship, being in right relationship with God through God's grace and mercy, not through any act that we do, <clears throat> and it's available to all humans. So Jesus became our peace, our irene, our shalom. If you go into Ephesians chapter six, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Therefore, stand, having fastened on the breast, the belt of truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all supplication. And this passage that says, as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What does that mean? Think about what this is. Paul is telling the Christians. You're going to be coming up against some serious spiritual battle. And I'm informing you now that God has equipped you. To be able to be successful in that. And you need to just stand your ground. And the way that you stand your ground. Is first of all. You you know the truth. You know the truth. Secondly. You have righteousness. You are in right relationship with God. You know that you are. You have a shield of faith. You have a helmet of salvation. You have a sword of the spirit. But this feet thing, this shoe thing, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Well, what is a gospel? The word gospel means good news. So is this saying that it's my job to walk around and tell everybody the good news? No. Why? How can I say that I know that that's the case? Because this whole passage is about standing firm. This whole passage is not go out and tell everybody about Jesus. This passage is know who you are in Christ. Know that you have every spiritual resource available to you to be the man or woman that God needs you to be. And when the enemy comes against you, you stand firm. So what is this having my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Think about this. If you're outfitting an army, the, the one thing back then, especially an army, a soldier would have to do is go from one place to another. How? They didn't have a striker that Craig would drive. They would have to walk. In most cases, they'd have to march in formation, in unison. Now, have you... Now, I know y'all are tough two rivers Alaskans and you walk out in like Roy said this morning, you walk out when it's eight degrees below zero in your light jacket. I understand that. But many of you don't have calluses on the bottom of your feet. Many of you, if you walk outside across a gravel path, you're like, oh, ah, oh, ah," right. That is one of the most sensitive parts of your body when you're marching. And so this is talking about as a soldier is outfitted for battle, God has outfitted you with something to protect your feet as you march or stand firm so that you're not constantly bouncing around. Have you ever walked on hot asphalt? Ooh, that hurts. I have literally blistered my feet on hot asphalt. Literally. So having shoes on, having a, a leather something between you and that hot ground or the rocky ground or the the piece of glass that's important for your readiness and not being distracted and being able to stand firm so this idea of having my feet shod or prepared for the readiness given by the gospel peace is this idea of standing in a sure-footed and stable way knowing the truth of the gospel which then gives me full, complete, whole. I don't want to say personhood, but you know what? I'm, I I hope I'm expressing myself well. Knowing who you are in Christ. Being able to stand firm regardless of what is thrown at you. That gospel being 100% assurance in you. It goes back to what I said last week about the difference between a wish and a hope. The hope is knowing that you know that you know what God has told you, and owning it. Nothing can dissuade you. That's what Paul's talking about here with this being shod, with the uh, with the (laughs) being being ready, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Sorry. Now look at Romans chapter twelve. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. We don't have time this morning to go through all of that. But I want to read to you verse 16, 17, 18, 19. Verse 16 of Romans chapter 12 says, Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. It goes on. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, most of that, Is real easy. Live in harmony with one another. Well, don't fight. Try not to be wise in your own sight. Don't look down on people who are less than you. Don't repay evil for evil. Give thought to what is honorable. Never try to seek out your own vengeance. All of that I can understand and get. But this verse 18, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Well, how does that play out? I don't know your story fully. I know some of your story, but I don't know your story fully. But I, I know my story, and I can tell you in my own life. And I've shared this with some of you in the past, but some of you, a lot of you probably have never heard this. Years ago, I was out at Camp Liwa, uh, at which is located at Mile 1 uh, on Hot Springs Road. And Camp Liwa had, at that time, a cabin that they would make available to ministers For two nights a year for free. You just go and and have a a quiet, private time. of. So I, 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 I would go and I would have a quiet prayer retreat for a couple of days there. And so I was there and I was also fasting at the time. And so I was in prayer and I was fasting. I was reading the scriptures. And at this moment in time, I was journaling. I was reading the scriptures and journaling what I was reading. And I was in Romans chapter 12. And I got to this part where it said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all human beings. And I was writing that and I said, what is that? And the Lord said, drop what you're doing and go to this person's home. I I don't want to go there, God. (laughs) There's bad blood between them and me. That's right. God said, that's why you're to go right now. I cannot and will not accept anything else from you until you make right with them. And I knew instantly that I had no choice. So I put the pen down, put my coat on, got my car started, and I drove to that person's home. Well, that person lives on a property that they have gated. And I got there, and the gate was locked. There was a padlock on the gate. I can't get in. God, the gate's locked. I can't get in. And the Lord said, just sit. What, what do you mean just sit? Just sit. Be patient. Just be quiet for a minute. Okay. Less than five minutes later, that person's wife drove up. Yay. (laughs) And the person's wife looked over and said, Pastor Bob, what are you doing here? I said, "Um, God asked me to come and talk to your husband. And she went, oh, okay. Come on in. Now, she was a landowner. I had permission. I didn't violate, I I had permission to go onto their property because she said so. So we drove, it got to the house. He came out and he saw who it was and his countenance fell. And his words were, what are you doing here? Well, to be flat out honest, I was trying to have a quiet time with God and God told me I had no choice but to come here and make it right with you. And I'm sorry for whatever it is that I've done that's caused pain between us. And I'm asking you to please forgive me. It was not easy to do that. It was hard to do that. And the person reluctantly (laughs) said yes. Now, the verse says, as much as it depends on you. Be at peace with all humans. See, if this person hadn't received my apology, I had done what I was supposed to do. Whether our relationship was right or not, I had done everything in my power to try to make it right. Therefore, I was good in God's eyes. I was walking that path of peace. Thankfully, they received my forgiveness. I mean, my apology. They gave offered me forgiveness and we are now in right relationship. So when I see them in town, I don't have to go. Oh, <laughs> because I did for a long while. It was like, I don't want to see them. I know they don't want to see me. Let's not go there. It's too hard. But now it's not. And see, that's that's what Jesus calls us to. So for me to, to wrap this all up, talking about Jesus as the Prince of Peace I hope that we've been able to see through these little snippets that it's not setting up an earthly kingdom to cease all war. That's not what this peace is all about. We saw in Luke chapter one that Jesus guides our path, guides our feet along a path. Um, Roy said it in his prayer time, or maybe it wasn't a prayer. I don't remember if he just said it, but it was God asks us to live our lives in such a way that we glorify God And that the people see our lives and they see our good works and they glorify a father who's in heaven. It's out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five through seven. That's this idea of our feet being guided down the way of peace. Romans chapter five, Jesus himself, the Prince of Peace, made it possible for every human being to be in right relationship with God, to be at peace with God, to have a whole, complete, restored relationship with God, to have shalom with God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, the Prince of Peace is our peace. He not only made it possible for every human to be at peace with God, he made it possible that all barriers could be broken down. There is no longer Jew and Gentile. There's no longer male and female. All are seen as equals in God's economy, and therefore all rivalry between classes or genders or nationalities goes away. And if it doesn't, It becomes an act of rebellion on the part of the person who's doing it. Which is indeed a sin. Because God has already broken that down. Every single human being has access to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6.15. The Prince of Peace gives a believer a stability or a sure-footedness from the knowledge of the gospel. Which then gives peace so that he can stand firm in any spiritual battle. Romans twelve eighteen, the Prince of Peace guides our feet in a path of peace, in a way of peace, so that we can live at peace with all human beings as much as it depends on us. So let's look at one last argument before we close this out about why Jesus, quote unquote, can't be the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Now, I would submit to you that the problem of hostilities and wars is not due to any defect on Jesus's part. The fact that there is still hostility, the fact that there is still war is solely due to us human beings refusing to walk the path that Jesus has laid out for us. If every single human being would humble themselves before God confess their sins, repent of their sins, there would be world peace. Because if every human being were to truly follow the teachings of Jesus, the hostilities between us would cease. Because we would be striving to be at peace with each other. Because we were trying to bring honor to God and glorify God. It is only when we become inwardly focused and selfish that these barriers and these frustrations and these hostilities start happening. And, it, and bring it down into your own home. I've lived in a household when I was growing up where there was hostility between siblings. I don't like what... And then your mom would go, Shut up! I'm sick and tired of you kids fighting all the time! And there's all this strife going on in the home. Well, what is that? That's the enemy of our souls trying to steal, kill, and destroy. How? Why? By diverting our attention away from God and God's living, the way God wants us to live, to live selfishly, to be in a, in a world that is just me, 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 me. So if you have that in your world, and I'm not saying that you do, I'm just saying if you have that in your world, if there's constant state of strife and chaos in your world, what's the cause? It's not Jesus. It's not that Jesus is not sat- satisfactory or sufficient. It is because there is something broken between you and Jesus. There is something broken between the members of your household and Jesus. There is no shalom because there is no shalom. Do you make, does that make sense? Because without you being in right relationship with God, you can't hope. To be in right relationship with the human beings in your life. To have shalom, you have to have shalom. To have shalom in my own person, I have to have shalom with God. So our goal, our, our one, 100% goal must be, first of all, to live in peace with God. Secondly, to live in peace with our family. And with fellow Christians. And then finally. To live in peace. With any human being that we come across on the pace of this earth. Regardless of who they are. Regardless of what their religious affiliation is. Regardless of what their worldview is. Regardless of how they choose to live their life. You if you're walking the way of peace. Set out for us by Christ. You have to love them as you love yourself. So let us determine from this day forward, as much as it depends on us, to walk that path of peace. Let's pray. Father God, I believe with all of my heart that this is your calling for me and for everyone else. And it sounds real easy to say. But when it comes to real practice, it sometimes gets a little bit dicey. And so, Lord, I ask that you would be right there with us, helping us to stand firm when the enemy's attacking and to take the action that we need to take when you're calling us to do it. Father, I give you praise and honor and glory. And I ask, Father, that the shalom would truly come on every single one of us. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen.